Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The feeling blessed, never stressed. Got that sunshine on my Sunday best. Addition, as we savor the sweet nectar of victory for the first time in the 2020 season and of the Joe Burrow era, a 33-25 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and in-depth analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. And this week's Fun Facts segment is one of my all-time favorites. If you are not already a fan of Mike Daniels, I promise you that you will be after hearing our conversation. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. I hate raisins. I particularly hate raisins that ruin a perfectly good oatmeal cookie. You take a bite, hoping that those little dots are chocolate chips, only to be fooled yet again by the presence of the evil raisin. Well, this past Saturday, my good friend, Megan Coffey, brought oatmeal cookies to the UC football game that did, in fact, contain chocolate chips instead of deer droppings. I mean raisins. Megan's cookies were fantastic. So, if you bake and ever consider making oatmeal cookies, do everybody a favor and go with chocolate chips instead of raisins, because, very simply, raisins ruin everything. Now, let's get to the game. It couldn't have started much better for the Bengals as Cincinnati's defense got a takeaway on the Jaguars' fifth play. Minshew throws over the middle, batted up in the air, and intercepted! Jesse Bates deflected it. Jordan Evans intercepts it, and the Bengals will take over in Jaguars territory at the 43-yard line. But typical of the first three games of the season, the Bengals failed to capitalize. They gained three yards in three plays and had to punt. It turned out to be Kevin Huber's only punt all day. The second time the Bengals got the ball, they drove into the red zone before stalling and calling on Randy Bullock. He has made eight out of nine field goal tries this year. We all remember the miss, unfortunately. The snap and the kick, it is up and it is good. And the Bengals score first with 2.41 left in the first quarter here at Paul Brown Stadium. The 3-0 lead only lasted for about two minutes. Quarterback Gardner Minshew, who came out to warm up about two and a half hours before kickoff, in a sleeveless t-shirt to show off the guns, a crop top to show off the abs, and a backward baseball cap to accentuate the mullet gave Jacksonville the lead. First and 10 from the 11-yard line. Minshew under center takes the snap, fakes a handoff to Robinson, throws it toward the back left corner of the end zone. Chark is there. Touchdown, Jacksonville. With the Jags up 7-3, the Bengals answered with an 88-yard drive that brought them within inches of the goal line. From an eye formation, Burrow under center. He fakes a handoff to Mixon. He throws it toward the back left corner of the end zone. It is caught! No, picked off. Took it away from Sample. Are they saying that he did take it away? The officials are discussing it in the back left corner. It's an interception. Man. Miles Jack Jack, came away with the ball. Jack came away in coverage with the football. It was a lousy call by me, and it's easy to second-guess the play call as well. Third and goal, inside the one, 
and rather than a quarterback sneak or a Joe Mixon run, Burrow's pass was picked off. Here's Zach Taylor. Third and goal on the inch yard line, you know, you kick yourself, but we got to make that play. You know, that, that's a 50-50 play that we got to make. And um, so we left a lot of points on the field, that's for sure. But that was the last drive all day where the Bengals were trying to score and didn't. After a Jacksonville field goal made it 10-3, the Bengals found the end zone for the first time. 1-0-3 left in the half. The Bengals down by seven points. Burrow extends the hands, catches the shotgun snap, swings it right, caught by Mixon, to the five. Yeah! Airborne! Yeah! Touchdown! Yeah! Bengals! Mixon flying over an attempted tackle as he makes it to the end zone to potentially tie the game. Randy Bullock did tie it with a PAT, but Jacksonville was able to drive 73 yards in 53 seconds with no timeouts remaining and kicked a field goal to lead 13-10 at the half. The Bengals were down by three, but confident, according to Joe Burrow. You know, we knew that if we executed the way we're capable of, then they weren't going to be able to stop us. And, you know, we just kept that mindset. And, you know, we talked about it at halftime. We were the only ones that had stopped ourselves all day. So uh, we came out in the second half and performed the way that we were supposed to. The first drive of the second half went 75 yards on just five plays. First and 10 at the 34-yard line for Burrow and company. Joe's under center, takes the direct snap from Hopkins, hands it off to Mixon. Oh! Big time hole to the right, oh! to the 25, sideline 20, 50 and 10, yeah! five to the pylon, yeah! touchdown, Bengals! That 34-yard run was Joe Mixon's first rushing touchdown of the year. Alex Redmond, who got his first start of the year at right guard, enjoyed the view. I mean, it was awesome. Joe played his heart out today. I think Joe plays his heart out every every single game. You hand that guy the ball, and he's scratching, in, you know, every inch he could get, he's going to get him. So playing with Joe, playing with, you know, Joey Burrow, guys like that, I mean, I feel like this team could be real good. And Mixon wasn't finished as he scored again roughly four minutes later. Now Burrow will line up in the shotgun, even though it's third and less than a yard. He'll hand it to Mixon. Go Mixon Joe. bursting through the Joe. middle to yeah. the 10, the 5. Woo. Touchdown! Joe Mixon and the Bengals, his third of the day. I'll tell you what, two rushing touchdowns, one touchdown receiving. Joe Mixon coming in with no touchdowns on the year. Not even halfway through the third quarter. He's got three today. Mixon finished with 26 carries for 151 yards and two touchdowns and had six catches for 30 yards and another TD. All of that after being listed as questionable because of a chest injury and he's not even sure how it happened. I don't know, I think I slept wrong. Um, I was slept wrong, came to work, and then, I don't know, it was like, I couldn't breathe, hurt to run, like and walk through, and then I ended up uh, going to the hospital. I was in the hospital for about like three hours yesterday, like late last night. So, uh, like I said, I didn't know if I'd play. And then this morning, see how I felt, and you know, doctors loved up on it, and, I was able to go out there and make some things work. Could you not breathe or did you have a pulled chest or did you pull no, something? I just, I don't know. It just seemed like something was squeezing. I don't know what, what it was, but I mean, I felt great today out there running. I mean, at first it was like, I don't know how it's going to be. Um, you know, I went out there and just gave it my all, man, for my teammates. And like I said, everything was up in the air, but, uh, you know, it made it happen. And it wasn't just mixing. The Bengals finished with 205 yards on the ground, more than doubling their average of 79 rushing yards in the first three weeks. Same plays we've been running. You know, it's just guys were really dialed in this week to the details, and we almost went overboard with that stuff to make sure that 
Um, we sent that message to our guys that it's going to take all 11. It's not just the O-line. It's not just the running back. It takes everybody. And the guys really bought in, had a tremendous week, did a lot of extras on their own uh, to help prepare for this game. And, and this is what the payoff looks like. In addition to the 205 rushing yards, Joe Burrow had exactly 300 passing yards to become the first rookie quarterback in NFL history to throw for at least three bills in three straight games. For the first time in his career, Burrow wasn't sacked although the Jags were credited with five quarterback hits. You know, the O-line played really, really well today. They've taken a lot of heat the last couple of weeks, and, you know, I was super happy for those guys to have the game that they did today, and they're going to continue to build on it. I know they are. I thought the offensive line did a tremendous job today. You know, they kept him clean. Um, they had some great blocks in the run game, tight ends as well, receivers as well. Just all the things that we talked about correcting last week coming off the field against Philly. I thought our guys were so dialed in this week. It was our best week of practice we've had in two years here. The energy was tremendous. Um, the guys took that to the field and made it count. The Bengals' final three drives ended with Randy Bullock field goals, meaning if you take away kneel downs at the end of each half, Cincinnati scored on its last six drives. Huber extends the right hand, catches the ball, puts it down. Randy Bullock's kick is good, and nice. the Bengals have a a 33-22 lead with 1.46 to go. A Jacksonville field goal made it an eight-point game with eight seconds on the clock. Cook ready to attempt the onside kick. It's the roller straight ahead. The Bengals fall on it at the 45-yard line. Giovanni Bernard is there, and that is Coffin Nails. Bam, bam, bam. The final score, Cincinnati 33, Jacksonville 25. Here's Jesse Bates on win number one. It just feels really good. I mean, we spend a lot of time away from our families. Um, you know, you put a lot of stuff into this. Um, you know, our bodies don't feel good after some games, but, you know, when you're losing, it's not – it's not worth it. It seems like it's like, damn, like we need to win. You know, you, you play this game to win um, and, you know, to support your family. Uh, so, you know, having that first win in the locker room, I think it helps our belief capacity continue to go up and uh, we're going to build on that. Do you feel like this was a game y'all had to win? Was this, did this feel like a must win game for y'all given the start and, and kind of what's to come this season? I think every game, I mean, is a must win. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one, I, I mean, we, we're, we've been so close. Every game's been in one position one possession game um, and Josh Bynes had a hell of a speech last night about adversity. Um, you know, you, you speak about, you know, Randy uh, missed the field goal to go in overtime week one, came back. I mean, he's probably four for four tonight. Um, our O-line played a hell of a game. Um, you know, our defense, we have to continue to be consistent. Um, so yeah, I mean, all around as a whole, organization we're getting better so I feel really good as for Joe Burrow he received a game ball after his first NFL victory it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun um, but you know it's one it's one game there's 12 more so you know we're gonna enjoy this for five hours and then come back to work tomorrow correct the mistakes and move on to Baltimore Burrow by the way was wired for sound during the game by NFL film so we'll have some great content to look forward to this week on Bengals.com and on shows like Inside the NFL and NFL Turning Point. Now, time for some post-game analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, how sweet it is. The Bengals get their first win of the year, 33-25 to over Jacksonville. And let's give credit where credit is due. The Bengals' offensive line has been mocked. They have been ripped from coast to coast. Well, today, 300 passing yards, 205 rushing yards, and 33 points on the scoreboard. Very true, and uh, hats off to them. They did a hell of a job. <clears throat> but as a former lineman, 
you know, my, my thing was this is the test because played against some pretty good defensive lines. And they have had their issues, and they've gotten crushed as a result because they haven't won a lot of the matchups. Well, this was, in my mind, the test because these guys were lesser. So if you can't perform well against these guys, where the heck are you? And then when Josh Allen went out, you know, they were even lesser than that. So I'm, I'm proud. If I played in this game, I'm proud as a former offensive lineman. I'm proud of the way they played. But the reality says, here we go now to Baltimore, back in the, from the frying pan, uh, from the fire right into the, from the frying pan right into the fire, I should say. You know, you're back at Baltimore. Indianapolis has a good defense. The NFL is the NFL. It's tough. And I'm not saying Jacksonville's a bunch of scrubs, but I am saying that they did not have the front seven that the Bengals had been playing against. You know, with the Chargers, they're, they're good up front. They have multiple pro bowlers up front. You know, Cleveland's got a good rush with, with Miles Garrett, and Philadelphia's got players. These guys didn't have anybody like that and other guys to compliment it. So um, I was hopeful of a good performance and got better than a good performance. Got an outstanding performance from the offensive line. You know, you, you throw it for 300 and rush it for over 200, and you're real balanced in your play selection. Balance the key. I mean, you, in, instead of one-dimensional, they allowed, you know, Zach as a play caller said during the game, you can close your eyes and just, boom, like pin the tail on the donkey and, well, let's call that one. I mean, it's like they're so easy to call plays when your offensive line is, is playing like that. Plus, the other thing we talked about multiple times, Dan, during the week and during the game, play-action pass. Instead of just teeing off and not having any respect for the run fake and the play-action pass, they actually had to legitimately say, whoa, does he have the ball or not? It's much easier to throw the football when it's play-action pass. The pass protection, light year is different, and then even drop-back protection becomes easier as well. It's a trickle down that's very, very positive. We did an interview on Friday with former Bengals quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan, and we discussed the number of hits and sacks that Joe Burrow had taken through the first three games, 14 sacks, roughly 30 quarterback hits. He said, his words, that is unsustainable. Well, vastly different today, and yes, you're right, the, the quality of opponents a huge factor, but no sacks, and I believe three quarterback hits, maybe it was four, but that's okay. That is sustainable. That is sustainable, and, and I think one of the hits came out of pocket, you know, when he created and extended on his own. So when you do that, you are on your own. There's nothing the offensive line can do for you there. So uh, they, he got hit a couple of times when the offensive line, quote, you know, it was their responsibility as such. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the level of uh, execution, once they, once they got out of their own way, I mean, it was so frustrating. The first quarter and a half, it was like uh, they, they had well over 500 yards in probably should have had 50 points or close to it in the high 40s anyway and um, you know didn't come close to that number because they were making mistakes taking touchdowns off the board by penalty by misexecution you know not you know sample not being able to catch a ball cleanly ricochets off his face mask and miles jack's able to make a play off of it so they they knew they knew that they could you know, push around this Jacksonville Jaguar defense. It was just a matter of taking themselves off their schedule, like we said so many times. If that's what Joe Mixon looks like with a chest injury, uh, maybe we need to hit him in the chest before every game. What a weird situation. He wasn't on the injury report on Friday, and after the game we learned out why. Uh, we learned why he said he thinks he heard it sleeping. I mean, that's what he said in the postgame uh, news conference. Actually had to go to the hospital uh, for tests uh, to his chest on Saturday, but uh, was able to play and played incredibly well. 25 carries, 151 yards. That's his second all-time uh, highest rushing total 
Six catches, 30 yards, including a touchdown, three TDs in all. So out of kind of a bizarre set of circumstances, he produced big time. I don't know the position it was in when he was sleeping. But I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I've had my arm fall asleep. I've had different things like that happen. But I've never, Sore neck. Yeah, sore neck. Maybe my shoulder a little. I've never woken up with a, like, you know, some sort of a, he felt like, he said he couldn't, felt like he couldn't breathe easily. So it, it, he, he must have fallen asleep in a scrunched up, awkward, awkward position. But, you know, fortunately, there was no structural problem. They wanted to, obviously, what they did was, and Paul Sparling is noted for this, Paul Sparling errors on the side of caution. I mean, if there's any, if, the, if a player says, I'm having difficulty breathing, boom, you go right, to, particularly in coronavirus, you come into a trainer and you say, I'm having a tough time breathing. It might, it might have slept funny. You don't take any chances, I guess, with coronavirus. You take them to the hospital and run some tests and make sure that everything's okay. So I think part of it is, you know, the times that we're in, it's, it's different in a, in a lot of ways. And if, if I'm a player and you sleep wrong and you do wake up and it's like having a hard time breathing, I mean, that, that can, you know, play with your mind a little bit, I guess. But uh, ultimately, you know, he was fine, as we saw. I mean, he was delivering. He wasn't accepting hits. He was ditching them out. I mean, he was lowering his pa- squaring his pads up, lowering them, running over people. I mean, that was Joe Mixon at his finest. The offensive line, more times than not, allowed him to make first cut down the football field. He caught the ball smoothly, caught the ball in stride. Yards after catch, you know, he scores in the air, scores on the ground more than once. Blitz pickup was sound. He was, you know, crushing people in that area. Blitz pickup. Joe Mixon played a complete football game and uh, maybe needs to sleep awkwardly uh, before the Baltimore game in Baltimore. It's really hard to evaluate an individual offensive lineman until you go back and study the tape, but obviously Alex Redmond makes his first start at right guard after some really shaky play over the last couple of weeks by Fred Johnson and Billy Price, and without looking at him specifically, you can look at the overall numbers of 500 plus yards and 33 points and figure, all right, maybe he wasn't great but it was certainly an improvement. Yeah, and again, now you have to go apples to apples. Who was he playing against? And because, and I liked his answer in the presser after the game. Um, I asked him how did how did it go? Not very good. He was self-deprecating, and I like that because you know he knows he has miles to go before he rests. He knows he's not a finished product right now, but what he gives them is a physicality. He, you know, he had a connection, obviously, with Trey and Bobby, like I thought would be the case. You know, it wasn't a foreign situation out there. They weren't looking at each other like, what are we going to do when this twist happens or when this linebacker blitzes or whatever? They, they had all of that. And, and Trey and Bobby, who are both very intelligent, they know the play. They know the structure of the play. They know everybody's assignment on every play, not just theirs. Alex Redman felt like I'm between two football menses. I got no issue with, with my assignments. I got no issues with identifying defenses and everything else. And that's a very, very comforting feeling to a guy that missed all a training camp, you know, because of injury. So physically, where was he? He, you know, he knows he still has to work on that. Mentally, he had those guys, those bookends on either side of him, taking care of any questions, any concerns there. So all positive. But man, when he goes to Baltimore, a little bit different inside than what he faced today, for sure. Any thoughts on throwing to Drew Sample in the back left corner of the end zone on third and inches, or third and goal from inches away? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, they were hammering Joe, and they are pretty good at that point. I would have gone up and over with him, you know. And, um, you know, if I didn't get it, I'd do it again on fourth down. But, you know, the play was there. I mean, Joe threw a good ball. Drew just didn't see it fast enough. It, went through, it hit him right in the face mask and ricocheted off that, and then it was – 
you know, moving around. They felt like he never had a secure possession of the ball. Miles Jack took it away from him when he was not totally secure with it. So there was no, you know, uh, shared possession of the football. And that's what you have to have for it to be a defensive uh, or offensive touchdown is simultaneous possession of the football. And in their opinion, because of the ricochet effect, there wasn't. So, um, yeah, I mean. I would. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I would have run the rock at that point in time for sure. You were first guessing that call, yeah, not, se- not second guessing that call. Uh, the Bengals held Jacksonville to eighty nine rushing yards. Now it was only twenty attempts, so that's still four and a half yards per attempt. But that's about one hundred fewer rushing yards than the Bengals had averaged on defense going into the game. It's nice to have a lead where the opponent is forced to put it in the air. You're exactly right, Dan. It's also nice to eliminate a 41-yard rush with a holding penalty. So they self-destructed. Because now you look at 130 yards rushing, and it's a much different dynamic. You have a running back well over 100 yards rushing, and it's like, oh, geez, they still can't stop the run. 130-plus, a running back little guy gets you know over 100, offensive player of the month. So one play, one holding penalty, uh, gets the run game off the hook. So what you have to do is you have to study the tape when you win or lose. Study the tape. All right, what happened in that play? Why did it bust for 41? Okay, how significant was the hold? The hold was a big deal at the point of attack and all that, blah, blah, blah. But still, you have to you know, hit your gaps, fit them, get off the blocks, make plays. So even when you win football games, you still have to evaluate the tape with the utmost critical eye because you're trying to improve each and every game couple of things I'm uh, looking forward to hearing this week. Number one, I want more details on the Josh Bynes Saturday night speech that apparently really helped motivate his teammates. Jesse Bates made a point of talking about what a great job Josh Bynes did in some sort of team meeting on Saturday. You know, in my mind, it's almost like a Rocky speech. Instead of a Rocky movie, you show a team to motivate him. It's a Rocky speech. Up gets a guy that, yeah, it was a good college program, won a national championship, and I'm undrafted. On a national championship team, I'm undrafted. And I, you know, I go to the NFL and, you know, and scratch and claw and make a team and hang around. And, gosh, I'm on a Super Bowl winning team and I'm bouncing around. I get cut, you know, half a dozen times and I still want to continue my career. And here I am, a college free agent in my 10th year in the National Football League. And so he's like a built-in Rocky Balboa story that you can present to your team in in living color, you know, instead of throwing on a a movie. And I I think it had a big effect on a lot of guys, I mean. This story's a good one. And he's a great speaker. And he's a great guy. Great speaker, great guy. Yeah, he's he's the real deal. Um, you know, he'll he'll make plays, he'll make some mistakes. His value in that linebacker room with all those young linebackers, whew, that's a big, big plus because you have a guy that does it the right way, knows what it's supposed to look like. Uh, all the young linebackers think of him as football encyclo- encyclopedia Britannica. He has an answer for everything. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of value, and a lot of uh, intangible value. The other thing, a big thing I'm looking forward to hearing this week, Joe Burrow is wired for sound today by NFL Films. So on Inside the NFL, on Showtime, on the NFL Turning Point Show, on Sound FX, and the Bengals website will be getting all of this great content. We're going to hear what he was saying on the sideline, what he was saying in the huddle. I love the job that NFL Films does with that, and it's going to be really cool to hear Joe Burrow Mic'd up in his first NFL win. I agree. I, mean, I bet there's going to be some nuggets, some great stuff. And we'll find out what he actually said to Joe Mixon when he broke the huddle before he threw that little swing pass because ah, I want to leave that in the field. Hey, NFL Films <laughs> has it wired. It might not be left on the field. But the th- I think what we're going to find is 
this young guy does have a lot of football IQ. Man, he sees a lot. He understands a lot. You know, he's telling he's telling uh, his teammates things that you know, like a five-year veteran, you know, would be telling his teammates. Not a not a rookie in his you know in his fourth game. Talking about a guy that should be vested already for retirement in the National Football League. The things that he's talking about and the things that he sees. Uh, he he has a exceedingly bright future. There's no question. Four games into the season, the Bengals have gone to the fourth quarter with the lead three times in four games. They could very easily be three and one. What can you do? They're one, two, and one, and now it's about to get really tough. You mentioned at Baltimore next week, then at Indy, then Cleveland. The Browns are playing great. Then Tennessee, a team that went to the AFC Championship game a year ago. After a bye week, a road game at Pittsburgh, so the next five are going to be brutal. Going to be brutal, and uh, three division matchups in the next five, you know. I mean, and you've already lost a division game. So it, it's time to really buckle up. Uh, you, you don't want to be, you know, out of it before, just before between Halloween and Thanksgiving. You don't want to be out of it in terms of the division with four or five division games in the books and you haven't won one of them and, and you're struggling, uh, you know, with, with just one victory. You want to you wanna build on this. You don't want it to be a, a one-hit wonder. You want to uh, be a snoot fool for people down the road and um, hopefully they'll, they'll – Play, they still have not played a game, Dan, where all three phases have totally been complimentary and they've avoided mistakes, avoided penalties, avoided, you know, bad. Every, every team is going to have a play that's not executed correctly. And that's, that's, that's understandable. They get paid, too. I mean, they make plays and all that. But the penalties, you know, the, the assigned mistakes, all that, that stuff, you can't have a myriad of those. You know, you can, you can maybe live with less than a handful but if you're into your second handful, you got problems. I will wrap up this conversation with two words. Coffin nails. Bam, bam, bam. So it's on to Baltimore next Sunday. The Ravens are 3-1 and one after beating Washington 31-17. Lamar Jackson threw for two touchdowns and ran for a third in the win. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment. I've been doing this segment since 2011, and this week's version is one of my all-time favorites, as you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with Bengals defensive tackle Mike Daniels, who has been making life miserable for NFL offensive linemen since 2012. Mike, if I were an O-lineman, I think you would be the last person in the league I would want to face. Describe yourself on game day. No, I'm really mean. Quite frankly, you know, I'm mean and focused, and I just try to play the game as physical and as violent as I possibly can while maintaining my uh, defensive responsibility. Are you trying to demoralize the guy on the opposite side of the line? Uh, absolutely, and if it happens, then that's just a bonus. That's just my mentality when I, when I step onto the football field. Completely different person from who I am, you know, in everyday life. When I step on the field, it's a, uh, it's a certain mentality that, I have to approach the game with. We're doing fun facts with Mike Daniels. NFL films must love you because you are tremendous when you are mic'd up. Do you turn it up a notch when you're wearing a mic or do you talk nonstop regardless? I actually tone it down when I'm wearing a mic. That way the, uh, the, the sensors and the network, they don't have too much work to do. But when I wear a mic, I'm aware I have a mic on. So I kind of tone it down a little bit, if anything. Do you enjoy watching those segments back after you've been mic'd up? I definitely have a lot of fun with it because uh, it, it's nice to see what other people see. 
and I, uh, I, I think it's I have I have fun with it, you know, and I, and I have fun when I watch any guy who um, who's uh, playing the game, you know, with with that amount of passion that they can't help but express it verbally, uh, beginning, during, and after the game. We're talking to Mike Daniels. The last line of your Wikipedia page mentions your interest in the Japanese cartoon genre anime. And I thought to myself, that's cute. 300 pound NFL tough guy likes cartoons. But then I watched the 12 minute documentary, He Was Anime, where you and your parents describe the impact that that art form has had on your life. What did anime do for a teenage Mike Daniels? Uh, it definitely helped me be comfortable with who I am. I ne didn't necessarily fit in with uh, a lot of my peers growing up. So uh, watching a lot of the protagonists in the various uh, shonen anime in particular, they, uh, they always had to overcome obstacles to uh, achieve a very significant goal. And for me, it was to be a starter on my high school football team, then get a Division I scholarship, then be a starter on my uh, college team in Iowa, then get drafted, then become a starter, then go to the Pro Bowl. And now it's uh, get back on the field and show that I'm still a really, really great football player. So I, I definitely can relate to the protagonists. And that's, I was able to relate to them from the time I was um, 11 up until now. You have referred to yourself as a dork with muscles. Is there a message there to do your own thing? Absolutely. You, you have to be comfortable in who you are. You have to be comfortable in the person that God made you. You have to love that. And you can't let people make you feel bad or feel embarrassed because you, you may not just want to go with the crowd because the same people that are, uh, that are having fun at your expense, so to speak, if anything, they're jealous because they're not comfortable in who they are. And they just want to fit in so badly. So they'll do that instead of pursuing what they truly love in life. And when, when you don't pursue what you love in life, you miss out. You miss out. You might be a great artist. You might be great at music. You, you, you might be a, a, a great sanitation expert. Who knows? But when you're trying too busy to, too busy trying to fit in with what's popular, what's happening, what the crowd is doing, then you'll never be able to achieve what you really want in life. And that's just, that's just unfortunate. So be yourself. We're doing fun facts with Mike Daniels. You're from Blackwood, New Jersey, not too far from Philadelphia. Describe where you grew up. Where I grew up is right outside of Philadelphia. So that Philadelphia area is definitely a, uh, I mean, Philly's a sports town all the way. All of the stadiums are right near each other for all the uh, four professional sports teams. So it's a really good sports area. So sports was going to become part of my life whether I wanted, to, wanted it to be or not. And thank God I did want it to be because – they love football out there, track, wrestling, baseball, hockey, lacrosse, uh, basketball, of course, uh, you name it, uh, soccer. Like, it's, it's a uh, field hockey, golly, boxer. We, it doesn't matter, man. We are a sports that, – that, that area, that South Jersey, Philly area is definitely um, a sports hub, man. And you feel it when the Eagles are doing well. You feel it when they're doing bad. Same applies for the Flyers, uh, the, the, the Sixers, and, and the Phillies. Even as far as the arena league with the Philadelphia Soul, you know, the, the, the area definitely embraces its sports and it's extremely competitive. People talk about Florida, Texas, California, Ohio, uh, New Jersey, especially that South Jersey area is extremely competitive with, with sports, extremely competitive from the time guys are kids up until uh, they're adults. Like there are obviously college football programs that aren't too far away, including Penn State and Rutgers, but you chose to go to Iowa. How did you wind up there and, what were your first impressions of Iowa City? Penn State and Rutgers Temple, nobody wanted me. Iowa, they did. So that's, that's where I went. That was my only scholarship. 
Uh, we have a, we had a coach, uh, Daryl Wilson, who was from the South Jersey area and Iowa historically has always gotten some, uh, New Jersey guys, um, from the late seventies up, up until now. So, you know, I, I was kind of just fell in line with that one. Uh, it, it, Iowa city is, is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a football place, man. They love the Hawkeyes there, man. And I'm so thankful that I was able to go to college there and play football there in the university of Iowa. They're blocking the streets off. The the town is like almost shut down except for the bars, man. I mean, it it is a rocking atmosphere. I've played in some NFL stadiums that didn't, well, a few NFL stadiums actually that didn't come close to having the same type of energy that Kinnick Stadium holds on uh, on Saturdays. So it, I loved it there. I definitely love playing football there. Speaking of places that love football, you were drafted by the Packers and spent your first eight years in Green Bay. What did you enjoy most about playing there? Uh, it was very similar to Iowa. I'm talking about streets getting blocked off on game days. Uh, bars are packed, man. And it's, it's just a football town. And I definitely, definitely enjoyed my time there. I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to play there. And everybody that comes to, to play, you know, against Green Bay, they always say, like, the atmosphere is crazy. It is definitely crazy. So it was really cool. One of the time-honored traditions going back to Vince Lombardi is to borrow little kids' bikes to get from Lambeau Field to the practice field during training camp. Did you enjoy it? And at your size, were you ever worried about damaging a kid's bike? So my rookie year, I actually broke a kid's bike. And that was, uh, that was definitely something. I think I might have broke another one in my fourth year so. I always made sure I went to find a, a high school kid or a middle school kid who had like a, a mountain bike or something like that because I, I, I couldn't ride any little kid's bikes, unfortunately. Sometimes I may get a little kid's bike and help, help hold the handlebar while they, while they rode their bike. But um, it was definitely a really cool tradition, and I'm glad they do it in Green Bay. How did those little kids react when you broke their bike? Oh, man, they, they were honored. They loved it. They, they thought it was – Man, they thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I remember a few years later, the kid, you know, he's a little bit older. He actually came to an autograph sign and had a picture of me carrying his bike. And I said, oh, yeah, this is great. This, this is really good. So they, 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 they loved it. They, they really loved it. A few more fun facts with Mike Daniels. You and your wife have been extremely generous, Mike, with your time and your money in terms of giving back. Is there a cause that means the most to you? I, just, I have a heart for, um, for everybody. You know, whatever cause we're getting involved in, whether it's a book bag drive, a women's shelter, holding the camp for um, children, it's we're 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 all for it. And right now, one of the causes that I'm definitely involved in is New Souls Inc. Incorporated, uh, based out of Pensacola and Camden, New Jersey, right now. And what they do is they do they do a variety of things, uh, bring Christmas gifts to um, a lot of uh, uh, children who are living in um, very. Uh, financially underprivileged situations. Uh, they remember they did an ice cream drive where they uh, rented out an ice cream truck and just handed out free ice cream. Um, they do shoe drives, hence the name New Souls. They do a, a sneaker drive. So I'm definitely involved in them. They'll be my calls, my, or my cleats for my calls, my cleats this football season. And I, I definitely love the work that they're doing. Describe the significance of the date August 3rd. The significance of the date August 3rd is my first uh, three children were born on that date. It's definitely a uh, very um, exciting day in the Daniels household. And they're not triplets. That's August 3rd, three different years. Three different years, no triplets, no twins. All right, final fun fact for Mike Daniels. This is putting you on the spot. If you could meet 
anybody in history, athlete, entertainer, statesman, who would that person be? It's funny. It's probably had to be uh, three com three comedians, uh, George Carlin, Dick Gregory, and Sinbad. Uh, I'd, I'd have to meet those three guys. Those three comedians who definitely um, were definitely very honest <laughs> about uh, the current state of affairs, whatever is going on. So th those are three people who I would love to uh, meet or have met. You love comedy clubs? I've always been a um, um, pretty uh, big stand-up comedian uh, or fan of stand-up comedy, rather. I could see you doing it. Someday you'll have to get up on stage. They throw tomatoes at me, man. I'm not that, <laughs> not that funny. Ah, you could put together a good 10-minute set. I appreciate your time. This has been fun. Best of luck this year. Thanks very much. Have a good day. How great is Mike Daniels? Here's hoping he makes a speedy recovery from the elbow injury he suffered at practice last week. The best case scenario is that he's back in three weeks. Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. Then on Wednesday night, I'll join Lap for the Bengals Game Plan Show from 6 to 8 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast brought to you by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.